people who identify with the LGBTQIA plus community may feel more accepted in mainstream society than they did 20 years ago. But they'll tell you there's still work to be done to stamp out bigotry and discrimination, including in the workplace. Our guest on this episode, Jerry Matera, is working passionately to do just that. A Noongar traditional owner from Western Australia, Jerry is Aboriginal and gay. Statistics around mental health in Australia will tell you that being part of these two minority groups would have you set up for a life of anxiety, depression, homelessness and other even worse scenarios because of the everyday barriers faced. But not Jerry. His personal identities and life experiences are fueling his advocacy within the Western Australia Pride Organisation, which is working strategically and successfully with high-profile businesses to create safe and equitable workplaces. Jerry is also a successful businessman with four very diverse businesses that are not just profitable, but also driving important social change. November hosts WA's Pride Fest, and it gave us the perfect opportunity to catch up with Jerry about his life growing up on an Aboriginal reserve and being surrounded by a family of professional footy players. We also explore the terms rainbow ticking and black cladding, and we learn how Jerry chooses to respond to prejudice. I'm Rebecca Kent, host of this JLL Beyond Buildings podcast. So, Jerry, why does the corporate world need an organisation like Pride? Well, I think um, definitely WA or the West Australian LGBTQIA plus community continues to experience, um, you know, varying levels of inequality in their day to day lives and particularly their work lives, um, just going to and from work and participating at work. So, I think corporates can certainly play a significant role in in leadership and kind of demonstrate a more inclusive and diverse workplace and one that's really authentic and, and not sort of the rainbow ticking, which I'll kind of elaborate on a little bit further down the track. You mentioned inequality there. Can you explain to us how that manifests? Look, um, if I could probably give you an example of uh, a, a really live example of um, how far we need to come, and corporates particularly. So during NAIDOC week, I was invited into a, a corporate office here in Perth um, it's a global business, um, thousands and thousands of employees around the world. And they invited me in for a belated NADOC event, but also wanted me to come in and share my business journey and LGBTQA plus journey. Uh, so I went into this, this office and, and I gave a sort of keynote address to their staff. Um, you know, probably over hundred staff um, uh, were at this sort of morning tea. And at the end of the morning tea, the executive um, who sort of invited me into this um, into the uh, to do the keynote speak, basically um, asked me was I really Aboriginal, um, and and I sort of responded with um, what were you, what were you expecting? You know, a, a black fellow here wearing no shoes and holding a spear and a boomerang. Like, what were you actually expecting? And then the the, the conversation sort of um, went on to then him asking about my sexuality and and uh, asked if I was really gay. And I said, look, I've just explained that whole personal journey and I said yes I am a part of the LGBTQ community and um, and then he basically said that um, gays make him sick and that um, the gays that jump on these parades are, are freaks. Um, 
So when you're talking about the question that you're asking about what does it actually really mean to be authentic and the rainbow ticking, it's actually offering a workplace where people feel absolutely safe to be who they are. That's fundamentally what we're talking about here. I am stunned, Jerry, and I can't even imagine how you must have felt at the time to have that experience. I really am gobsmacked. That corporate um, business um, we've had many, many discussions since then, and I've spoken to the Asia president, and a whole it, it's sort of gone up the channel, and, and they've actually been quite, um, you know, obviously uh, devastated that it happened, but certainly um, they're very open to change. Even so, I presume that experience is not a one-off in your community, but the change you want can't be achieved by rainbow ticking, which is a term you used earlier. Can you elaborate on that for us? Yeah, um, I think um, within the LGBTIA plus community, there uh, that obviously stands for a whole range of people that identify uh, differently than the, the norms. And I probably shouldn't use the word norms, but um, in the context of what we're trying to talk about here, I think um, I think employers or corporates can certainly make their workplaces more palatable for people that are coming from the pride community to workplaces. If I can talk really personally here for a moment, so I obviously identify as gay, but also I am Aboriginal, so I'm a Noongar man from the southwest of Western Australia. Um, I, I feel the pride and the Aboriginal um, community have kind of, um, there's certainly some aspects that are very, very similar. Um, so in my being Aboriginal, um, I, I see that Aboriginal people are used um, in a way that uh, they make um, corporates look good. And I've heard stories of Aboriginal people being dressed up in PPE and flown up into a Pilbara mine and, and there's photographs being taken for a capability statement or a brochure and those Aboriginal people are put back on a plane and flown back to Perth um, to make the company look like they're participating, um, offering employment really genuinely, offering career paths. And, and, and most of the time, Aboriginal people are, are given opportunities at a very low risk and, and very entry level. So traineeships, apprenticeships or cleaning or those sorts of opportunities that no one's really thinking a little bit beyond that sort of mid-tier to sort of management um, tier. And so, you know, uh, segue into the, the LGBTQIA plus community, it, it is really the same. Um, I think a lot of, a lot of um, our community feel that they don't feel like they've been appreciated and, and feel that they are made. I mean, if you look at, um, you know, recently there's the Purple Shirt Day, um, lots of corporates around Australia uh, hold morning teas um, and grab, you know, their, their sort of token. Uh, and I say this, quite generally, but I, I, I mean it sort of that, that it, it's done in a way um, mostly that isn't it really effective where they grab their LGBTQA plus community members and they host a morning tea and then, then the rest of the time or the rest of the year, there's not really much going on. So in our special general meeting this year, um, Pride sort of held a, an open forum for members to come in and have a chat with us about um, us pivoting to, you know, holding account, uh, corporates more accountable. Um, and so what's happened, uh, particularly the last sort of six months to eight months since that meeting, um, the members sort of expressed that they wanted us to hold corporates more accountable for uh, their rainbow ticking. And rainbow and sort of, and in the Aboriginal um, sort of setting, it's called black cladding, where you're grabbing an Aboriginal person to make yourself or the, or the corporation look good. And I think that that also happens in this space. And uh, our members certainly wanted us to hold uh, corporates more responsible um, for how they participate 
And, and as I sort of, and, and I suppose the real crucial point here is every single workplace is different and every single workplace is uh, complex. It may not be, they may be small with a few employers or employees to, you know, some corporates having a thousand plus employees. So I think um, each strategy is different. So I really want Len to, you know, lend that, um, that we, we really need to be working with corporates on an individualization um, of their plans. So really looking at how corporates can um, work with Pride long-term for a three-year strategy, which really steps out their own goals and aspirations. Um, each, each employer is uh, obviously different within size or, you know, they're obviously large corporates and small organisations still want to participate. So really going into these organisations and individualising what that plan looks like. Uh, some corporates, uh, and we'll use FMG, so Fortescue Metal Group, which um, came on board as a sponsor this year. Um, you know, they're at the infancy. They've set up a, a, an inner um, pride group within the organisation that kind of um, provides a platform and a working group to step out how they're going to work with pride over the next three years. I guess the consequences of not creating an environment that's healthy for, you know, minority groups um, is just not getting the best out of people, right? I see, there's certainly an element of... Um, not getting the best out of people is is sort of one dimension. But I also feel that um, it, it, you know, having internal, and, and I'll use sort of FMG and, and BHP as an example, and, and Woodside is, you know, the, these organisations have actually gone that step further. They've put a little committee in place uh, filled with LGBTQIA plus community members who are kind of setting the scene. And that's probably the benchmark where you've got a little team internally that, Sort of dictates and sort of is pushing the business in the right direction through advocacy and 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 you know meetings and and catching up and and you know um, that does something. So when you're an LGBTQIA plus community member and you're sitting on one of these committee members that are helping the organisation really pivot to doing something really meaningfully, um, that that's quite powerful and that that particular individual feels not only um, you know comfortable and 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 great at work and obviously not hiding their identity. But obviously, the, the employer is certainly um, on the path for um, greatness and letting their, their employees excel uh, in all levels. Jerry, how do you respond to attitudes from business leaders who don't think there's anything to address on this front? Well, I'll use, um, I'll use this example. So I've, I've got four businesses that are uh, all geared around uh, obviously making profit for the shareholders is obviously key. Um, but um, the social impact these, these organisations have. So when we started, and I'll use Marawa as an example, um, which is obviously in the construction property services industry. Um, when we started the, that business, before we started, we wanted to sort of work out how many Aboriginal people were participating in apprenticeships in the state um, in, in, the, in the building trades. And what we uncovered with that was 38,000 um, apprentices in the whole state of Western Australia and less than 90 Aboriginal people participating in the building trades. But then, you know, if you ask yourself, you know, look at what the government and private sector are spending on construction and civil works, it's in excess of $5 billion. So that, you know, why was there um, really low representation of Aboriginal people um, in the in the building trades? And, and that's exactly the same as the LGBTQIA plus community is that I think um, it's not okay to sit there and go, well, we're doing enough or this is this is okay, when clearly, statistically, um, it, it isn't okay. And there's many, many statistics around, you know, um, why we need to do more together as employees and or employers or corporates and the community um, to make people feel safe at work and share their identity. Um, it, 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 you know, the 
the statistics are, are completely, you know, opposite to someone saying, oh, we, we haven't got a problem, it's great. So what's unique to the property and construction sectors that make your advocacy challenging? When I started this uh, building trade or building business, so Marawa was formed, so Marawa means uh, West in Noongar, and we, you know, set out to um, combat that really low representation of Aboriginal people in the building trades. Um, but then when you're talking about the LGBTQIA plus space, um, you know, there's just no representation um, clearly in, in the building trades. And if there is, um, there are people certainly hiding their identity at work uh, for fear of, you know, um, not really participating in the building trade lends itself to quite a, a, a masculine industry, the construction, you know, bricklayers and carpenters and all those sorts of things. Um, so I think um, this industry definitely needs to be torn apart. Um, and, you know, we, we definitely need to um, have some really um, big discussions with the construction industry around um, representation and, and, and the way that they put their awards together and representation of, um, you know, the community or our community in that space. And, um, you know, walking around and owning uh, a construction company and being um, a gay man, also an Aboriginal man, um, in the early days of Marawa, it was actually quite difficult to get people to realise that, we could do all the things that they wanted us to do. But when we when we started out, we were offered kind of low-lying uh, fruit or opportunities that um, were uh, didn't didn't come with a lot of risk. So, you know, a small construction job or a, or a renovation or a cleaning opportunity and things like that. And over the last sort of five years, we've built the business uh, to having, you know, 80 employees, um, we just basically, 55% um, of our workforce is Aboriginal. Um, we've just won uh, this year the Supply Nation um, Registered Aboriginal Business of the Year. We picked up three building industry awards from uh, Master Builders Association. Um, but in the early days, um, it was very, very difficult to get an opportunity and get to get people to believe that an Aboriginal business could do all the things that they are wanting them to do. So, you know, when you're talking about um, advocacy and alignment and, and all those things, we make it easier now for employers and corporates. Uh, and we've built some amazing relationships um, over the years. And I'll use West Farmers as an example. Um, you know, uh, 10 years ago, um, you, you know, to be an Aboriginal business to try and build a Bunnings store for West Farmers would probably be unheard of. So last year uh, in November, we completed the first Bunnings built by an Aboriginal business in Australia down here in Albany um, in the Southwest. Um, and then in turn, actually, we won uh, the um, best retail commercial build with Master Builders for that particular construction uh, piece. We had a huge amount of Aboriginal participation on that job um, as far as employees and trades and subcontractors. Um, so really, it's not just about, for us, it's not just about building something or constructing something. Is how do we get, um, you know, the bang, bang for buck with Aboriginal participation and engagement? So how do we get trainees and apprentices in, some contractors and other businesses that can help uh, tell the story from, you know, stationary to signage to, uh, you know, cement, um, trades, all those sorts of things is something that we do really, really well. So I think, um, you know, it... it it, it kind of takes a, a little while. It takes a little while to get corporates to really understand what you're trying to do, and it's easier to show them what you're doing when you're doing it and when you've done it. Now, Jerry, we've come all the way through this conversation. I've not really asked you to tell us about you. Tell us about 
how you grew up, what were the defining moments for you, the experiences that shaped your passions and your values. Tell us about your education and your jobs. Give us all of it, the good and bad. Yeah. Um, so uh, I was born in a little place called Wajin. So I have an Aboriginal mother, which is Noongar, and I have an Italian father. Um, so mum and dad, um, when, so when dad migrated to, from Italy, he met my mum in a little place called Woodnelling, which again, you know, about three hours southeast of Perth. Um, my dad faced um, his own set of challenges because um, the other sort of non-Indigenous community were um, quite uh, vocal around um, him dating an Aboriginal woman and made things very difficult. So my dad ended up um, living out on a reserve with my mum um, in, a, in a sort of um, a clay house that my grandfather built for my mum and no running water, no electricity, and they raised three kids um, on this property. And back then um, they were on the list for state housing, so trying to get a, a place to live, and then um, moved to, to Wajin um, uh, in the early days. And, and Wajin was kind of set up um, and, and maybe maybe not intentionally, but maybe there was sort of an intention, but all the Aboriginal people were living on one side of the town and all the white people, the, the Wadjulas were living on the other side of the town. Um, and, and growing up, I didn't really see that in the early days, that there was this divide um, with uh, the communities. And, and my dad was probably one of very few white people living in the Aboriginal part of the town. Um, and then growing up in a in an environment where the Aboriginal community as a whole was very dysfunctional and fueled by alcohol and, and drugs and unemployment. Um, and, you know, mum and dad didn't really have a lot of money. So things were very, very tight and we went without a lot of things. And um, certainly there were days where we didn't eat lunch or we didn't have dinner because we just didn't have any food. Um, and coming from, from that environment where you just, um, it's very, very difficult, um, you know, to see, how someone could live like that, particularly in, in our days. And I really don't know how mum and dad did it. You know, when I think back, it just must have been so challenging to have eight kids trying to feed them and send them to school and, and um, you know, provide them the love and the care that they need. And then, you know, growing up in that environment um, when, you know, you're, every weekend there was fighting and arguing in, in the community, and I'm talking in the reserve, sorry, at the back of my mum and dad's property. Um, and then, you know, I certainly did not want to live like that. I certainly didn't want to live um, in, in, a, in a house like that or in a community like that. And I wanted to, to make a big difference. And I saw that the, the, the way that we could get out of that. So moving to Perth, um, I had various jobs, but um, I worked for the Australian Medical Association in the early days around um, Aboriginal health initiatives. Um, and um, I also worked for the Department of um, Education, um, looking at uh, apprenticeships and traineeships and how they could do things better. And I worked in a little area called the Be Apprentice Centre. I'm a qualified chef by trade, so left Wajin to become a chef um, and then studied business because um, I, I really had a passion to, to get into business and, and make a difference. And, and the, the, the catalyst of that really was um, trying to make a better life for myself first um, and, um, and not living um, in an environment where you're just living week to week. Um, it, it is very difficult. Um, and, you know, my mum left school very young, um, so both mum and dad had you know, low-level education. So it was really difficult to um, to see yourself um, outside of that environment. And so, you know, it's just really persistence and, and resilience and hard work has really got me to where I am today. Um, and I've, I've kind of um, built these businesses. So I've got a security business, a construction business, a food business, and an energy business, um, all around social impact 
um, but also um, all driven for profit um, for the shareholders. Um, because I think that the, the more the companies succeed, the, the more we can do things for um, Aboriginal people, particularly. Um, the the um, LGBTQIA plus um, space um, lends itself to my food business is probably the, the majority winner there. Um, the, the community just seems to, to love um, hospitality and food a little bit more than construction. Um, so it kind of, and that, that's just because I think historically it lends itself to, to be more accepting. Um, hospitality sector um, is probably a case in point where um, that is an industry that has a, a very a large contingent of um, LGBTQIA plus community members um, floating around and, and in, with all sorts of different careers. And you're one of eight siblings, right? Six brothers, one sister, uh, and many of your brothers played professional football. So you were surrounded by the masculine culture of footy. How was that? Yeah, so um, my oldest brother, Wally, um, and Peter and Phil um, all played for South Man and then uh, further played for West Coast Eagles. Um, in that time, um, you know, the, my brothers were kind of all being celebrated for their achievements and, and particularly um, Peter um, winning Norm Smith medal in 1992 and having a pretty um, full-on career. At that particular time, um, I was actually um, right smack bang in the middle of, of trying to work out who I am and, and um, filled with lies and anxiety. Um, and my brothers would always say, um, and, and in the early days, I had many girlfriends uh, to try and hide the fact or to, to make it look like I was a straight guy. Um, and had girlfriends to try and um, cover the fact that um, I most certainly wasn't. Um, and I think in the early days, and if you could kind of imagine, you know, 20 plus years ago, it's a little bit different than what it is today. Um, obviously, we've got uh, marriage equality and there's um, so many more organisations on, on the, um, you know, campaign for change. Um, so back then, um, it was certainly a, a, a time in my life that was probably the most darkest period of my life whilst my brothers were being celebrated. Um, and, you know, I'm obviously very um, happy and, and glad that they had all that success, but um, certainly was the complete opposite for me. Growing up and getting out of the community uh, and, you know, firstly, not really seeing yourself anywhere, so not really seeing many Aboriginal people represented in workplaces and then not seeing LGBTQIA plus people represented uh, anywhere. It really does something to you and I think um, no one really understands this unless you're a part of the community that, you know, um, I don't know how many lies I've told um, just to fit in. Um, I couldn't couldn't count probably thousands and thousands of lies just to sort of feel normal and be accepted normally um, just to fit in. Um, and, you know, one lie covers another lie and that lie covers this lie and it, it isn't really a, a, a nice place to live and feel. So, Jerry, what are the common stereotypes or myths about the LGBTQIA plus community and the Aboriginal community that you would like to address? Yeah, look, I think um, for me personally, just speaking from, from what I've experienced, um, I think a lot of um, non-Indigenous people feel that Aboriginal people um, get a whole bunch of free stuff um, whether it's cars or they get free houses from the government or whatever it is, um, there's this there's this um, stereotype that all this myth that you know we get all this great stuff from the government. But the absolute reality is that um, we always get offered employment that is low lying fruit, so very low entry point, so low risk to the employer. Um, you know, when we talk about incarceration rates, you know, um, most of the people I think in 1992. 
uh, one in 14 people in prison were Aboriginal. Um, I think um, by 2025, it's going to be one in two people in prison will be Aboriginal. So I think per capita, we're jailing Aboriginal people at the highest rates anywhere in the world. Um, the you know health, education, housing uh, are all areas that I think um, most non-Indigenous people actually don't know that there's the huge statistics that really need a bigger conversation. If I look back over the last decade, um, things have certainly gotten better and there's certainly um, there's a lot more um, community programs and education programs and a willingness from corporates to, to get involved. And I think the same thing for the LGBTQIA space is I think there are, um, you know, for me personally, I think uh, a lot of people feel that, you know, I've been even told myself that, oh, you don't look gay um, or you don't really look like you uh, you belong in the community. And I think that um, the, the rainbow flag for me represents a really diverse community. Um, and I think that um, people sort of uh, expectations on even what a trans person is um, and non-binary and all these things that, that um, people have this uh, in their head, whether it's an imaginary one or, or, or real, it, it is um, it is quite difficult for people to realise, you know, what were you expecting? So me being a gay person, what were you actually expecting me to be here today? Like dressed as a drag queen or, you know, with nail polish on or wearing high heels? Like what, what were you actually expecting? Um, and I, I, I view myself as a, a professional Aboriginal gay man. So, you know, obviously dress um, in, a, in a corporate sense. Um, but all, all those sorts of things, um, you know, lends itself to having to try a little bit harder uh, to get people to understand um, what we're trying to do, uh, or me personally anyway. Um, so I think those um, stereotypes don't really lend themselves to, to um, uh, anything positive. It's always sort of, sort of come from a negative light. Even the example I gave you about the corporate that um, asked me about, um, you, know, I, you know, I don't really appreciate, you know, you gay guys getting up on these floats and, and dancing and it made, made him feel sick. Um, you know, I've never danced on a float, and and I and I and I hope that more people do. I think that the more visually um, that that the pride community gets and is, um, it, it, I'm happy to have those difficult conversations with people. I love that attitude. That the more people that can see us, the more conversations we can have. Jerry, we wish you a great rest of Pride Fest and ongoing success with your advocacy work in both the Aboriginal and LGBTQIA plus communities. Thank you so much for having a chat to us today. It's been wonderful.